Uh, it's coffee. Yeah, I'm rolling. On March 13th, both Richard and I were told that we would be working from home. And we weren't alone, as most of the planet had gone into isolation in hopes to minimize the spread of COVID-19. For Donovan and myself, these were pretty impactful changes to our daily routines. I co-host a daily radio show, write columns, and have my own sports media podcast. I co-host a weekly TV show, have a basketball podcast, free association, please subscribe, I create digital videos, and write for sportsnet.ca. These aren't exactly social distancing professions. All of these elements of our work must require us to be in a studio with our co-hosts, producers, technical engineers, in order to create the best possible content. Now let's touch on how our lives at home have changed. So I have twins, one boy, one girl, and the days seem endless and never ending. Richard, you're not alone. I'm sure the listeners have experienced the same at-home challenges. You're probably right, but there's a small portion of the population that these changes have impacted more than us. Professional athletes. Yes, they make millions of dollars, fly charter, and stay in the best hotels, but they are creatures of habit. They know their schedule before the season even starts. Their flights, meals, hotels, media appearances, pregame naps, and practices are all practically laid out before the opening night. But what happens when the season stops? Dr. Colleen Carney is an associate professor and director of the Sleep and Depression Laboratory at Ryerson University in Toronto. And Matt Nickel is the owner of the Paragenic Systems and trainer for some of the biggest stars in the NHL. They join us to discuss how athletes maintain their physical and mental health during a pandemic. So, Richard, this is going to be an instructive and informative podcast for me. My wife has been on my case that I'm not sleeping enough, that I'm up too late. I try and argue back and say I'm up late working, so maybe we can continue to pay our mortgage. But um, I'm not going to ask you to be a marriage counselor. How much sleep are you getting right now? Mm, I imagine those conversations are happening in, uh, in many homes. I'm not getting enough sleep. Last night, I probably got... Do the math on this one. Maybe six hours or so, six, maybe a touch more than six hours if I was lucky. And that is one thing that has been lacking during this pandemic, and that is sleep. I think I've never been in a situation where if someone asked me what I wanted most in life for my birthday or a holiday, the answer would not be anything material. The answer would be sleep. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned previously to me that you have a trainer, that you work out a bit. And for me, on both ends. I don't have enough time to rest, but I also don't have enough time to work out, which is the thing I often recover from. Have you been able to stay active and train? Let's put the workout for me in quotes there, Donovan. You're (laughs) a college athlete. I was not. I have tried over the last uh, month and a half to do far more uh, walks around my neighborhood at night, but I have not trained with my trainer uh, over the last uh, three and a half months. And I think it makes a big difference. I'm just, uh, I am feeling my body far more now than I certainly did pre-COVID. Yeah, college athlete was like over a decade ago. I ran on a 9K run yesterday and I was struggling. I, I don't know if I've been more tired than the last time I had a real hard workout. And that was with Matt Nickel at BioSteel Camp 
where he made me basically he made me break so i would love to hear from him to maybe see what i can do to get through this period So for listeners who watched The Last Dance and fell in love with Tim Grover's character, well, our next guest is the Tim Grover of hockey, of Canada, if you will. He is the trainer that elite athletes go to to get elite-level performances. He's a veteran strength and conditioning coach who's trained elite athletes since the late 1990s, has been an industry leader, not just training NBA champions like Joel Anthony or Olympians like Heather Moist and Andre DeGrasse, but in the hockey space, he's really dominated training stars like Connor McDavid, Tyler Sagan, Darnell Nurse, Wayne Simmons. The list goes on and on and on, so much so that every year, 25 of the best NHL and amateur players get together to go through the paces with him to get ready for their season. Right now, their season is on pause. So we thought, who better to talk to on how they can potentially ramp up and play well but stay healthy than Matt Nickel, who you've probably heard as the man who invented the revolutionary supplement, BioSteel. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining us. And my first thought in terms of these players is they've never really been in a situation like this before. They've never been in a scenario where they haven't skated for two and a half months. They haven't really lifted without real supervision in the way they normally do. How do you manage what athletes are doing throughout this period of time to get ready, but also make sure that whenever the leagues come back, they can transition smoothly uh, without injury and with good performances? It's a great question. And, uh, you know, it's there's not an easy answer to that. And I think it's, it's interesting that when this first started, uh, you know, I thought, okay, this is, you know, it's an awful situation, but Maybe it's going to be a few weeks or a month or maybe a little longer. And then, you know, you'll get back to some level of normal. And it's obviously gone on significantly longer than that. And it's significantly worse than, you know, any or at least many of us would have thought. So I don't know that anybody was truly prepared for it. And I think that uh, a lot of people originally were saying, well, is, you know, it's kind of like uh, we have to treat this sort of like uh, the lockout in 2012. Or is it maybe more like 2004? But it's really it's not like any of those situations or, or even when you compare it to you know, some people would use the analogy of, okay, well, it's like an athlete when they have a serious injury or a surgery and they're out for a long period of time, uh, which is, I guess, in some ways comparable, but not really, because then, as you said, Donovan, they still got access to their facility and they've got access to their coach and their therapist and their trainer and this team of people that all of these elite athletes have sort of surrounded themselves with. Well, none of that is gone. And now you've got obviously the skilled professionals, whether it's coaches or therapists, but not just that, their whole kind of social network their support group their team is missing too so it's uh it's pretty significant so you know i getting back to your question about how do you manage it you know i can you know suggest how i've tried to manage it i don't know if that's the right way or the wrong way but it, you know it's the way is that i think you know the most important thing is you know for me was just sort of letting you know my clients or my athletes know that you know we're here for them and and we're all going through this together and you know, we don't have, uh, you know, or I don't have uh, necessarily the answers, but I've got ideas and I've got my time and, and you know, I care for them and, and hope I can help. And I think that was, you know, sort of step one is just letting these guys know that they have resources available to them and then uh, just managing or helping to manage or support them as best you can. You know, there's some guys that throughout this whole process have been 
training and facilities that are probably, you know, as elaborate and pimped out or more so than the gym where they train with me in the summer. And some guys are at home with a pair of 10 pound dumbbells and a rubber band. So, I mean, and, and everything in between. So it's, it's not easy. I imagine that your clients, your athletes, when they speak to you, they're probably worried or concerned about different things. Some might be concerned about losing strength if they're in a sport where obviously that's prominent. Some might be worried about losing speed, sort of same idea. Have you noticed any kind of trend lines in terms of when you're talking to your current clients, what they specifically might be really focused on given that they don't have their traditional facilities to work at? Yeah, that's another great question. Uh, I think that um, just in the like the very obvious differences, like, you know, if you're in your condo by yourself, that, you know, there are a lot of things, you know, even if I did have a player who was literally by themselves in a room with nothing, not, not a band, not a rope, not a dumbbell, nothing, there still are a ton of things that you can do. And that, that was my messaging from day one was sort of, just focus on the, on what you do have or what you can do and forget about the stuff you can't or don't. But I think that the obvious one that would pop out is, okay, well, I don't have ice. And and for hockey players, that's that's a pretty major difference. And, you know, obviously, if, if you were a basketball player, you can't practice the tactics of basketball because you need your teammates for that and you need people playing defense. But you certainly can practice the technical components of your sport. You know, you can work on your handling. You can work on your shot. You can work on your fitness. There's a lot of it you can do. Not 100% of it, but more than 50. But I think for hockey, not having the ice is the is the very obvious difference to everybody, and it's a major difference. And then probably things like, you know, even though you can exercise and you can stay fit and you can do things, not having a proper gym with with dumbbells and barbells and squat racks and all this kind of stuff – even if you could, you certainly could make an argument that you don't need those things. I think just the, you know, perceptually for the athlete not being in that environment, in their mind, they're not going to be able to stay strong and powerful and things like that. So th- those are probably the two big ones. What I find fascinating is culturally, the sports are very different, not just the way they train, but how athletes communicate with us, how they're training. I know exactly what football players are doing in the weight room because I see it on my Instagram feed all day. I see all of the box jumps that they do. The basketball players, I see all of the skill work all of the time. With hockey players, I don't really see anything. I, I see them golf more than I see them train. And it's probably culturally due to the sport. But in this period, you're in contact with them. How much have they been able to do for the most part? Uh, how much at-home workouts have they been able to do? How much have, have been able to get some ice time here or there? Do you have an appraisal of what they've been up to? You know, I can only speak for a small percentage of the league, but they're guys that would, I think, be sort of typical or representative of the others. But I'm sure that there are some guys out there that have been doing very little or God, God forbid there's somebody doing nothing. I sure hope not, but I'm sure there are. But uh, for the most part, the guys, I, you know, when I say, you know, the guys I'm speaking on, you know, probably on behalf of most of the 700 and some odd players, have been staying fit, you know, they're doing all kinds of stuff at home, but have they been training uh, optimally or properly? I think early on, probably not. And I think it's funny, it's kind of gone in waves. Like, I think there's almost sort of three phases of this where right away, I think a lot of guys just kind of welcome to the break. You know, the the season, you know, as you guys know, is uh, it's a bit of a grind and no one's going to feel sorry for pro athletes, but there is, you know, a lot of flying around here and there, not sleeping great, you know, the stress of the game. So I think the first, you know, week, couple of weeks, might have been a welcome change and I, I don't think there was a lot of training going on or even thinking about training and then 
I think guys sort of got into it and they were, you know, making the best of it and grinding through all these little sort of horn circuits. But I think after a few weeks of that, when they weren't sure if there was a season, I think the enthusiasm kind of dropped off. So uh, it'll be interesting to see now that it certainly looks like we are going to have some type of a season, a playoff season, whatever, whatever they're calling this. All of a sudden, I think there's some guys now that are going to have to sort of kick it into overdrive. Matt, one of the uh, interesting things that I've always seen from reading about uh, trainers or people who work with uh, athletes at the highest levels that you do, people like Mackie Shillstone or Tim Grover, who's Michael Jordan's famous trainer, it always seems like the best trainers to me are the ones who do not bullshit their clients and they're basically, they're honest and they don't sugarcoat anything. So I wonder for you, what in your opinion do athletes want from you and how are they about your honesty or you being blunt with them about what they need to do and what they need to work on? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, to be mentioned in the same sentence with those two guys is it's a huge compliment. I, I wouldn't put myself in that category, but it's an honor anyway. I appreciate it. I think that's the one thing that I do pride myself on. And I think I, I tell my athletes that, you know, for right or for wrong, I'm, I'm and sometimes to a fault, I'm going to be honest with them. And, uh, I still love them, whether they're skinny or fat. I love them, whether they're weak or strong, slow or fast, but I'm going to let them know where they're at because that's my job. And I, I you know, I, I care enough to be honest with them. And, uh, you know, I always want to make sure that we do it in a way that's respectful and, uh, empathetic, but at the end of the day, I am being paid to do what I do. And I feel like I have a professional obligation to be honest with them. And I think that over time, you know, and it, with experience, you learn different strategies and tricks and you become a better communicator and you, and you learn how to deliver those messages in ways that are better for some guys. Some guys like it soft. Some guys like the, like the carrot. Some guys like the stick. You know, some guys, I'm the kind of person that I'd rather have that honesty and give it to me, you know, straight between the eyes. I'd rather, you know, take my medicine and, and get on with it. I, I'd rather have that than someone sugarcoat it and don't give me the honest feedback and but some everyone's different some guys like that that hard-edged approach and some guys you have to be a little softer and i guess just with age and time and experience you, you learn to, to have some different approaches for different people i think a lot of people focus on the lifting aspect of training and you know over time we've learned that it's much more holistic and that's just a small piece of the puzzle there's treatment prehab and rehab sleep mental health nutrition hydration how can you help athletes and what should they be focused on, on all of those other aspects that are tied to performance? Yeah, you're, you're hundred percent correct. There's, it is holistic and you need all those things, but that's the part that I love about my job the most is that I'm not just the weightlifting guy, you know, and I've worked in season, you know, in the NHL for a long time. I've worked in, in the NFL a little bit and uh, in some of those other leagues and other sports, when you're working on the team side, you are the weight room guy, you know, not, not everywhere and not every team and not every sport, but a lot of times you, you're sort of relegated to that role. You do that. And I think the great guys in those jobs still find ways to transcend those and they become great motivators and, and mentors and leaders. But um, I think for me, I love the fact that we, in my business now, we do try to be holistic and we do try to address all those things. And the cool part is that some guys come to me and their training is on point. You know, these guys, you know, they've been training with another trainer somewhere else before they arrived at my gym for years and they're actually doing really good stuff. And, you know, I might change it a little bit. Everyone's got their own, you know, slight spin on things and their own little variations, but for the most part, it's good, but their diet is, is a mess. Or some guys come in and they're, 
their diet is, you know, flawless, but their training is off. And some guys are, are just need therapy. And I think it's finding the, the right mix uh, of all those elements. And what exactly does this athlete need that's going to put them, you know, ahead or push them to the next level, which is a different mix of services that the, the next athlete might need. That's the part I really enjoy. Matt, from your perspective, and it may be different depending on the sport, do you have a sense as to what the minimum amount of time you would be comfortable with in your role as a trainer for the players to practice in whatever sport they might be doing prior to coming back before a playoff or end of regular season scenario happens? What would be for you some kind of window of time where you would feel comfortable as a as an athletic trainer? Okay, I think my guy here would be ready to go and the injuries would be at a minimal. Unfortunately, I don't think there is a magic number for that. It's individual specific. It's also very sport specific. You know, if you look at uh, a sport like football, which I, I do have a lot of experience with and I currently work uh, in football, there's the technical piece, you know, there's the physiological piece and there's the tactical piece. So physiologically, if I'm a wide receiver, if I'm a DB, if I'm, if I'm on a special team, I have to condition my body. To, I have to build up a very significant volume of high-speed work, sprint, full speed, top-end speed, sprint work. Even if I don't care about performance, just to keep myself healthy and safe, I need that. Then I actually need to work on the technical aspects of my game. But in, in a game like football, the tactical aspect, the team aspect is so crucial. Because you know, if, I, if I'm a wide receiver and I stayed in great shape and I'm running my routes as, as well as I ever have, but you know, everybody else is off and their timing is off and my O-line's not playing well, it doesn't matter. You, Everyone has to be at a certain level and you have to make sure that the timing is down with the team. You know, a sport like maybe like, uh, you know, hockey or to a lesser extent basketball, you know, that is not as much of an element and there are a lot of things you can do. So, you know, in hockey, we already spoke about the on-ice component, which is dramatically different. You know, if we're talking about road hockey or ball hockey, yeah, we could cut that time in half. But I think that there's nothing that these players in ice hockey can do there's nothing not lunging not running not using a slide board there's nothing that replicates skating so uh, you know there is a period of time and I don't I don't know what that magic number is maybe it's four weeks maybe it's five weeks maybe for some guys it's six who, who we don't really know for sure but I think you know the more time you have the better maybe I'm a bit of an alarmist but for all of those reasons I'm afraid that these athletes are high performance cars that have just kind of been sitting for a while and you know you're going to try and turn the key in the ignition and, and drive them really fast there's that fear but i also have a fear on the back end that a prolonged season that's not normal means a condensed off season and that we may have some injuries next year but also a lack of an ability for skill development in the off season and some prehab working off season what's the buffer in between competition that's important for a pro athlete there isn't a perfect answer to that either and I, i'm not trying to be evasive on my answers i'm just saying i had three clients uh win a stanley cup last year uh, and another another one or two that made it you know all the way but didn't win we're on the losing team we had you know three the year previous and they're all a little bit different so for some of those guys they you know it's a uh, they had a shortened off season I think, and it's, it, it could potentially have been detrimental, but by taking a very strategic approach to training and therapy and everything else. And the most important part is having that full buy-in and having the cooperation of the athletes. So again, 
you know, if you have an athlete that uh, buys into the idea of having a holistic approach and, and a strategic approach to their off season, but the team doesn't, it's all for naught, you know, and if you've got a team that has a fantastic staff that really want the best for the players, but the player doesn't buy in and do what they're asked or told to do, that's not going to work either. So I think really, you know, anything is possible, especially with some of these teams. If you, if you had a head coach that, and a general manager that would buy into the concept of, okay, if the ultimate goal is to win a Stanley Cup, not necessarily win the first game of the season or not necessarily win the fitness test, uh, then it's totally possible. But um, you cannot make up for lost time. That's one thing that I've learned over the years that, you know, we're, we live in a society now where everybody's looking to hack everything and find a shortcut and tweaks and, and you know, tricks of the trade. At, at you know to a certain extent human physiology you can't hack it you need to allow the body time to rest recover adapt and things like that so I'm not trying to be evasive but I don't think there is a, a perfect answer of time I don't know if it's you know is it six weeks is it eight weeks is it 10 you're gonna have seven teams in the NHL this year that are gonna have a 10 month off season okay well is that good you know that's lots and lots of time but you know in fact that's probably really bad you know I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of guys that that's detrimental to them so if one of your athletes wants a life hack and some instruction on how do they survive and stay safe and thrive in the bubble, in quarantine, whenever their specific league joins up again. What advice would you give them into what's going to be a new routine, a new reality? And is any of that advice transferable to the everyday person who is living in their personal quarantine situation? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think for me, at least, what was helpful is you know, I spent the first, uh, even before, you know, the official quarantines and lockdowns, I've sort of been tracking this thing since January and thinking about all of the different uh, hacks and all the various different supplements I was going to use to, you know, maximize my immune system and all, you know, I have, a, you know, UVC lights and ozone generators in my gym and we're using all different sorts of things and you're trying to study and see, you know, there's got to be a, a way around this. But at some point when you realize there isn't and we're you know you're in one here and this is this is the real deal and and the world has changed at least for the foreseeable future i think the sooner that you can shift and pivot and get to the point where you realize this is the new reality it doesn't matter how i feel about washing my hands it doesn't matter how i feel about sanitizing my hands or social distancing it is what it is it is the new reality so the sooner that you can accept that and find a way to deal with that and adjust your life to, you know, in accordance with that, I think the sooner you're going to experience success. Again, it's an oft-used quote, but it's not the, the strongest or the smartest of the species that survive. It's the one that's most adaptable to change. So the sooner that these guys can realize, if you were one of those guys who was stuck in a condo with no gym equipment, okay, well, guess what? You better become a home fitness guy. You know, you better learn to like doing push-ups and, and jumping jacks and burpees because that it, it, you can sit around all day and Think about how much you miss uh, your regular gym or how much you miss the other things, you know, whether your barber, your hairstylist, you, your restaurants, your whatever, you can sit around and long for those things. Or you can decide that you're going to find some way to adapt and, and just learn to like the new way because it ain't changing anytime soon. This is the way it is. You mentioned tracking it and adapting your gym since January. I wish some politicians were tracking it as long as you were. But how will the training industry, the, the business of having people together to become healthy and, you know, have an outlet for mental health. 
how is that going to have to pivot and train as we come out of this? We know that gyms are generally large spaces with high rent, and we are in a uh, economic situation in in all industries. Do you see a, a pathway forward for trainers th- that are maybe not as big as you, but still trying in the same industry? Yeah, it's going to be very hard. It's very challenging, and you've seen, you know, in the last. 10, 15, 20 years, there's been a real move towards group exercise, whether that's, you know, things like CrossFit, spinning, you know, what have you, it's really taken off, you know, and I think that there, there always have been large commercial gyms where people went and trained on their own, whether it was, you know, on your own treadmill, you know, on your own squat rack, whatever the case may be. But now we've really seen that that change to group fitness, which has been wildly popular for all kinds of reasons. And I think you, Donovan, you touched on one was that that community, the you know that aspect of it. They're going to be in tough. You know, it's a it's a tough business, and uh, I, I don't know what the solution will be because I don't really know if these social distancing guidelines are the way that we are supposed to conduct ourselves, and if it really is the best thing to do which, you know, I, I don't know. There's much smarter people than me are wrestling with that I, question. But if that's the case, though, I don't see how you can run those businesses. You know, I'm, I, I guess I'm fortunate in that we're not uh, strictly a private one-on-one, one-person-at-a-time facility, but it is, you know, essentially, essentially that. You know, we're a very, very small business, small clientele, not very many people in the gym at one time. However, you know, we run hockey practices with 20 guys on the ice. So it's... Uh, uh, who knows what that'll mean? Can you have 20 guys on the ice? Can you have 20 people in a change room? You know, are, are people changing in the parking lot? Uh, is it only going to be one-on-one training? Is it only going to be in-home training? It remains to be seen, but uh, that industry is going to be hit as hard uh, or maybe harder than than most of them out there. And it's unfortunate because, as you said, it's not just, you know, it's awful for the business owners, obviously, but it's really awful for, the, although there are so many people that, you know, that is their that's their community. That's their tribe. That's their social support system. It's not just about barbells and dumbbells. It's about a place that you go with a community of people that, you know, believe in you, support you, hold you accountable, help you be better, help you be healthier. Uh, when that community goes away, it's it's really detrimental for a whole lot of reasons. And, and hopefully we can find some solution. Well, you've been an innovator using technology and science, and you've been an ally using empathy and understanding. We're going to need a lot of those things to get us through this situation. We look forward to watching to see how you get through it as well. Thanks so much for this. Thanks, guys. Nice talking to you. Well, Donovan, Matt Nickel obviously is... uh is incredibly bright and at the top of his game when it comes to his profession. One of the things I think that's going to be really, really interesting is what gyms are going to do. When are they going to come back? And perhaps most importantly, will people have um, the confidence to train and work out again in an indoor facility with a room full of a ton of people? Yeah, it's a good question. The cost of going to a gym is going to be certainly an issue with people with less disposable income. And also, if we're being honest, people who have worked out from home for months via the internet or following gyms on IG Live, are they going to feel the need to go back into a gym space? All things uh, that are worth watching. Maybe if people had some stock on something like Peloton, uh, that might be a good invest right now. Certainly, If you're investing in yourself, 
sleep is always something that you get a return on investment from. So you think, is it possible to lay in bed too much? Dr. Colleen Carney breaks down the appropriate ways to get rest. Dr. Colleen Carney is an associate professor and director of the Sleep and Depression Laboratory at Ryerson University in Toronto, and she joins us on the Sports on Pause podcast. Dr. Carney, before we uh, get to questions about your expertise, as we ask all our guests, how are you? How is your family holding up? And are you safe and healthy? Uh, I'm doing all right. My family is safe and healthy. I do have an 81-year-old roommate named Mom, um, so we're making sure that we're being real careful with her. My kids are being really careful, and we're finding creative ways to try and stay sane and happy. Thanks for asking. I realize this is um, very much a macro question that you could probably write a book on, but let's start here for our listeners. What are the consequences of a lack of sleep? I mean, the lack of sleep, uh, it's pretty widespread, right? So it increases your risk for cardiovascular diseases, uh, cognitive diseases, uh, things like dementia, obesity, diabetes, car crashes, early death. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, So lack of sleep is really um, one of the most um, important health factors you can consider. Athletes are creatures of habit at the best of times. And now, in these odd times, that routine has been thrown aside. Their midday naps are maybe different. They're normally staying up late on game days. How does that lack of a constant routine impact uh, their ability to stay healthy? We like to focus on how important a routine is for adults. And and athletes get this in a way that, that other people tend not to. So... If you think about inviting somebody over who has a toddler for a dinner party, you would never say, yeah, come on over at, at eight, we'll serve dinner at nine, right? Like everyone would know that would throw, like that toddler is going to not only be you know, tired, they're going to be a wreck, right? So emotionally, alert-wise, uh, being able to sleep, they're thrown off their meals. We are clocks. And so a lot of athletes get that. And this time is probably pretty stressful. Um, they're probably also missing parts of their routine. They might not have access to the same um, equipment or facilities. And uh, this might be a period of not just sleep disruption and feeling uh, tired during the day, but also having mood problems. Dr. Carney, I'm not sure how much uh, specific work you've done with athletes or research on athletics, but you know, one of the growing fields, it seems like in athletics, is sleep experts. People like yourself who are literally hired by professional sports teams to help their athletes um, with their sleep schedules, learn how to sleep, perhaps sort of time their schedules. Have you um, examined sort of this sort of subfield of of your field? And um, my sense is, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this will only grow and that teams will be looking for any kind of competitive advantage that they can find. And it would strike me that sleep or better sleep habits could be significant advantage for a team when it comes to the competition that they're competing in. When I was at Duke University, this was a big part of what I did. Sleep science has a lot to offer all humans, but athletics in particular. So we can show people when the optimal time is to sleep, uh, when their optimal alertness is, when their optimal time to, to 
workout is. Um, and also with the travel, with the time zone travel, how to minimize the effects. So uh, how to time naps. And uh, sleep is really the time in which you're going to get um, most of your growth hormone, which is so important for athletes and restoration. So sleep science is something that is is growing. Uh, the applications in athletics is really growing. People are understanding that. And it's really exciting. What has your clinical research about going through this pandemic and how it impacts sleep, maybe negatively and positively for some as everyone's having a different experience. What has that research told you? Well, my main research has been in teens during this time. We also have a little bit of research in adults, a treatment study. And interestingly, um, a lot of people are sleeping better, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. Um, and I think one of the reasons why is my work in teens is that they're finally able to follow a schedule that makes sense for them. You know, with puberty, there's a shift towards nightness, and it really doesn't fit well with early start times for school. And so now they're able to stay up late, but then sleep in later, and they're uh, feeling a lot better. So for some people, they are doing really well. I'm sure for some athletes, they're actually doing a little better with the reduced travel um, and that strain. Um, they're probably also spending a little bit more with their family and partners, and that might be a nice reset. This might be a nice timed break for rehabbing, <laughs> rehabbing injuries. So the types of sleep problems, though, that I'm seeing when I'm seeing them are largely related to a breakdown of the routine as you start the show off with, right? So a breakdown of the routine is going to be a breakdown of the sleep-wake regulatory system. And then there's some aspects of it which are related to the decreased activity. So we need activity to produce positive feedback into the system so that we get growth hormone release at night. And so if you're more sedentary, um, then you're going to get less deep sleep and you're going to be prone to a worsening of insomnia and feeling kind of aches and pains and, and grogginess throughout the day. Dr. Carney, we are soon going to see uh, professional athletes head to some kind of hub city environment where they will leave wherever they are right now and head into a almost a quarantine-like environment to play uh, or to finish their particular seasons. This strikes me as um, just on face, you know, uh, while exciting prospect for these athletes, also a really stressful situation given that they're walking into so many unknowns. If you were uh, counseling a sports team or if you were counseling a professional athlete who had to leave his or her home to play in one of these hub cities, what would you tell them regarding sleep? Well, I mean, I think that I'd be working uh, individually with them to try and come up with a routine that worked really well um, and making sure that they um, had a good routine um, as a team as well in terms of uh, practice and so on. But the psychological effects of that, I think I'd want to make sure that um, they were finding ways to stay connected because being connected with your teammates um, is part of it. But then there's also um, being connected at home. Some people are going to feel really uh, isolated in that way. And I think these hub cities, it also depends where they are um, and whether or not there's going to be access to to regular sunlight. Are they going to be able to get out? Or are they going to be isolated and not really getting a lot of outdoor time? So these are sorts of things that I would be wanting to think about. Psychological health, as well as making sure the routine fits them and staying connected. One of the changes for everyone involved in sports, the athletes, the coaches, the administrators and executives, is their communication has gone from face-to-face 
to digital, talking on screens, on Zoom calls, interacting and having meetings and media availability that way. There's been some blue light research about how screens impacts our ability to sleep and our ability to function for athletes who are now exposed to screens to do their jobs in an entirely different way. What are those impacts? I'm not sure there's much of an impact um, for uh, adults. I mean, a lot of the research is really in teens and young adults. So I'm, I'm not sure. And, and during the day, blue light is a very, very important source. It's a healthy source for sleep because that's actually what sets our clock. It's blue light is from the sunlight. And I emphasize getting lots of, of daylight exposure um, for people to help with their clock and to help with alertness. So the Zoom calls, I'm not really worried from that perspective. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that all of the Zoom calls, the greatest uh, side effect that we're seeing is fatigue, what they're calling Zoom fatigue, right? So the constant staring, uh, the fatigue of the eyes of staring into a screen for all that period of time, I think that actually is the main um, issue with that. I wonder in your years of research as well as um, counseling, if you have found that as we live in a more 24-7 time, as technology becomes so much more of a part of young people's lives, have you seen an increase, even if it's just anecdotally, of sleep disorders and sleep problems from the ages of, let's say, you know, 8 to 18 where maybe someone who grew up in the 70s and 80s, not as much sort of 24-7, for lack of a sort of a better obvious phrase, was impacting them in that very important adolescent age group? I mean, that's a really difficult question to answer because um, our definitions of sleep problems, um, you know, sleep medicine is a fairly new relative to other um, areas of specialty, a fairly new area. And so our way of measuring back then was not as sophisticated as it is now. So I'm, I'm not sure I could really answer that. Um, I can tell you that there is decreased activity. There's increased sedentary activity and less time spent outside. Um, these are two essential, quintessential pieces of sleep health, certainly for kids, but definitely for adults. And so I don't know how that has shown up in terms of epidemiology um, because we have thought of it so differently over the last 30 years or so. But that is one of the major things that I research that I've seen that we really ought to be thinking back like we were kids in the 70s again, where we get more uh, outdoor time and more physical activity as both adults and kids. Other than having more weird dreams, my sleep hasn't really changed. And as a sports consumer, I love tangible numbers. I love stats. I'd love to be able to know if I'm doing well or not doing well. In this period that we're going through, is there an average amount of sleep that we need? And has that number changed at all from what it would be normally? So that's a really good question because um, I like the idea that you are open to the idea that it would change, that your needs change because they do. So it is a system that actually balances between how much you are active versus how much you're at rest. And it adjusts your need based on that. So that's why athletes uh, tend to be able to produce slightly larger amounts. So the average amount that an adult needs varies from adult to adult. Uh, the, there is a genetic component. I know that we push the myth of eight hours, but that is a myth. Uh, it is normally distributed in the population. Healthy adult sleep is usually 
um, above six hours uh, and to about nine hours. Um, and if I asked everyone listening to, to achieve eight hours, some of them would develop insomnia and some of them would be shortchanged because they're actually greater than eight hour sleepers. So your sleep need has likely not increased um, unless you're an essential worker who is working more hours and being more physically active. And so if anything, people's needs may have decreased because of the low amount of activity um, during this time. Thank you, Dr. Colleen. This has really been informative, not just for athletes trying to return to play, but for, I think, all of us who are trying to return to some sense of normalcy. You can follow Dr. Carney on Twitter at Dr. Colleen Carney and drcolleencarney.com is a website where there are many more resources to dial in on what your specific sleep needs are. Thanks so much for this conversation. You're quite welcome. All right, Donovan, it's time for our uh, last word segment of this podcast. And, um, Listen, sleep is an issue for millions and millions of people in North America. I know throughout my life, it's been uh, it's been a significant issue. I've had bouts with insomnia. I've gone days without sleeping. I uh, I have incredible empathy for anybody suffering this because I know I have suffered it myself. There was a uh, a really good article out of a uh, Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, which offers. Um, tips basically regarding sleep problems, dreams, and nightmares during COVID-19. And um, you can understand why people have sleep disruption during this time. Uh, They're stressed about their life. They're stressed about their jobs. It's a significant amount of stress. And there's a reason probably why insomnia is more prevalent uh, now than in other times. So head to uh, health.sunnybrook.ca and it's their story on sleep problems, dreams, and nightmares. That's the headline of it. And it basically gives you a lot of tips in terms of what you might be able to do from keeping a uh, sleep schedule to naps to shutting down screens and other tips for improved sleep hygiene. That's a good suggestion. And if you are more interested in getting your information via audio, like this podcast, um, and want to follow up on what we learned from Dr. Carney, I got a podcast for you. It's by NPR's Life Kit. They basically give you life hacks for many different things. And their most recent episode is How to Sleep Better with These Bedtime Rituals. Just gives you a checklist of things to do when you're going down for the night to make sure you get the optimum amount of sleep. So give that a listen. Um, and it's a good podcast. So as well, when you like, favorite, share, subscribe ours, give them a like as well. Thank you for listening. Please, please get some rest, stay safe, and take care of yourself and others.